Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Acclaimed Kiowa writer and poet N. Scott Mamaday tackled big ideas with a distinctive voice that drew strength from his Kiowa roots. He inspired generations of Native writers and poets, beginning with his Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, House Made of Dawn. His collection of poems and sketches, Dream Drawings, was published in 2022. He walked on last week at his home in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We'll hear from people who knew him and who he inspired right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A former employee of the Blackfeet Nation in Montana pled guilty to stealing nearly $80,000 from the tribe. Federal prosecutors say former Blackfeet operations manager James McNeely admitted to stealing COVID-19 relief funds. Prosecutors say McNeely submitted fraudulent reimbursement requests to tribal officials for COVID supplies on Amazon, but never actually purchased anything. McNeely faces up to 10 years in prison. His sentencing is scheduled in June. A bill introduced by U.S. Representatives Sharice Davids and Eli Crane to support Native entrepreneurs has passed the House Committee on Small Business with bipartisan support. The legislation is intended to enhance the Small Business Administration's Office of Native American Affairs. David says small businesses are the heartbeat of tribal communities and economy. She spoke Wednesday during a committee markup. SBA currently lacks a congressional mandate for this office, limiting the capacity for the office to uh, to do the work that it needs to do and, and leaves it vulnerable to challenges um, or changes from one administration to the next. The legislation would codify the office into federal law, establishing an administrator role to oversee operations in order to create a better government-to-government relationship with tribes. Enhancements include being able to expand its grant-making ability, provide training, counseling, and technical assistance. Since October of last year, Anchorage, Alaska has been visited by a rare feathered celebrity, a white raven. The bird is not albino, but leucistic, which means it has a gene that causes a loss of pigmentation. It also has blue eyes. KMBA's Rhonda McBride has followed a Facebook page called Anchorage White Raven Spottings. Almost every day you can find new photos of White Raven on the page, aloft with its feathers, translucent in the light, or at play with another raven in the snow. Photos that have caught the eye of Mita DeWitt a Thlinket healer who works with medicinal plants. She says she first heard about White Raven years ago from another traditional healer, the late Rita Blumenstein, a Yupik from southwest Alaska known as Grandma Rita. She would say, we will see a white raven, and that's when we'll know that humanity is shifting towards one of peace. DeWitt says it's a prophecy Grandma Rita heard from her elders. She also says to not forget that Raven is a trickster. Her uncle tells a story about how Raven wanted to bring mankind fresh water to drink. So he stole a bucket from a chief's house. Soot blackened his feathers as he escaped through a smoke hole. In another version, Raven steals the sun, the moon, and the stars to bring light into the world. DeWitt believes Raven has transformed yet again to encourage mankind to save the planet. It gives me a profound sense of hope 
Floyd Guthrie, another traditional healer who is Simshi and Clinkett and Haida, has been waiting for Raven's arrival. It makes our heart feel good. Guthrie and his wife, Dr. Marianne Rowland, specialize in treating trauma. And long before the bird appeared, they named their counseling center in Anchorage White Raven. White Raven opens hearts. And opening hearts opens up creativity. Which is why she's not surprised to see all the White Raven-inspired artwork on Facebook, from paintings to sculptures, even beadwork. The photos run from regal to rogue. One of the latest shows the bird strutting with an empty container of haagen white raspberry chocolate truffle ice cream. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Lakota-made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients and all can be found at lakotamade.com who support this show. A historical trauma master class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 1st at freedomlodge.org, who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. When Kiowa writer and Scott Mamaday introduced the world to Ben Benali and Abel in his first novel, Housemate of Dawn, he also established himself as a literary force with a distinctly Native American voice. The book won the 1969 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, making him the first Native American to receive that award. He published some 20 other works of fiction, poetry, and essays, earning many more awards and accolades. Among his many achievements, he will also always be known as the artist who cleared a path for generations of Native writers. Born in Oklahoma, he moved with his family to Jemez Pueblo in New Mexico for a few years and also lived on the campus of the Santa Fe Indian School before attending the University of New Mexico. He went on to Stanford University for a Ph.D. in English. He later taught there as well as the University of California and the University of Arizona. He was 89 when he died last week at his home in Santa Fe. We're remembering him today and celebrating his legacy. You can join our tribute to N. Scott Mamaday by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from the Kiowa Reservation in Oklahoma is Vice Chairman Jacob Sotai of the Kiowa Tribe. Vice Chairman, welcome back to the show. We'll go back to Vice Chairman. In Ithaca, New York, we have Jeffrey Palmer. He is Associate Professor of Performing and Media Arts at Cornell University and Director and Producer of the PBS American Masters Profile, Words from a Bear. He is also Kiowa. Jeff, welcome back to you, too. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us. And we also have Hyde E. Erdrich 
on the line in the Twin Cities. She was just named the inaugural Poet Laureate for the city of Minneapolis. She has published seven collections of poetry, including Little Big Bully, that won the 2019 National Poetry Series, and the 2022 Rebecca Johnson Bobbitt National Prize for Poetry. She is an editor and a teacher. She's also Turtle Mountain Band of, of Chippewa. Hyde, hello, and welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, thank you. It's nice to be here, but also a sad occasion. It is. It certainly is. And uh, Vice Chairman, I'm going to go ahead and go back to you, Jacob Sotai of the Kiowa Tribe. Good morning, Vice Chairman. Ha, ha Dandy. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm uh, very humbled to be a part of this uh, very somber discussion as we commemorate uh, the life and legacy of one of our uh, most uh, honored and revered elders of our tribe. Uh, we are so uh, shocked by his passing, uh, although we, we've known that he's been in ill health for the past few months, and we have been praying for him uh, because uh, he has such a strong presence, uh, not only among our people, but throughout the country. Uh, he has touched so many lives uh, through his work and through his, um, uh, just his presence, his persona uh, is so powerful. And um, we we were in fact we were in the process of uh, looking into uh, acquiring his home place there in Mountain View uh, to have that as a historic uh, uh, an extor an historic uh, place for uh, preservation. And we were in discussions with the owner of that building. So uh, this this came about uh, as a, a quite devastating news, uh, but. Uh, we know that uh, his memory and his legacy will live on. He brought our American Indian perspective to the forefront because of his work and our uh, understanding of our presence here uh, on uh, Mother Earth uh, was elevated because of his uh, gift from Doc Key, his creator, giving him uh, this opportunity uh, to mm -hmm. serve as a spokesperson uh, through his work. And um, his journey was remarkable. Uh, it brought uh, much acclaim uh, to our people, and uh, we will certainly uh, be less uh, because of his passing. Uh, but we know that uh, he has served his, uh, his uh, people well. He has served our Native nations well, and that we, uh, we know that... Uh, it was his time, uh, but uh, we we are so blessed by what he's left, and we're so blessed by the way he was able to communicate uh, so passionately and effectively uh, about our unique uh, interpretation of our relationship, uh, both with uh, the land and our place uh, and our understanding of uh, the universe and and of the complexities of the universe. And so uh, our hearts are mourning, but uh, we are thankful that we uh, had come to know such a man. Vice Chairman, what's your favorite memory of N. Scott Mamaday? Well, to me, it's his voice. I loved his voice, the way it resonated. It was so mellifluous, uh, and he was able to give uh, uh, such a, uh, an interpretation of what he was uh uh, defining through his uh, narrative that, uh, it, to me, that, that was the most engaging part of it. 
but then also his way to reflect uh, so uh, poignantly on uh, his memories of his childhood, his uh, collection of our community, recollection of our community, uh, and uh, what he saw in his uh, younger years, how he was able to convey that. And then also just being able to uh, interpret uh, for the broader community uh, our Native understanding of our surroundings. So uh, he, he touched me in so many ways. Uh, I was able to meet him once, uh, but I know of his work uh, and uh, I am thankful uh, that, uh, again, that he was able to be a part of our community. But, yeah, I'll, I'll have, I have a lot of good memories of his work. Vice Chairman Mellifulous, that's such a beautiful word to describe in Scott Mombaday and, of course, his writing. Thank you very much for joining us today and sharing memories. Hyde, I, I want to talk to you now, and um, let's talk a, a little bit about N. Scott Mamaday's work. And is there a single poem or any other writing by N. Scott Mamaday that is especially meaningful to you? Um, you know, I think that the Angle of Geese is one of the poems that many people think of as introducing us to the style of N. Scott Mamaday um, and feeling close to the way that he created his work, especially for poets. And it's included in the Norton Anthology, When the Light of the World Was Subdued, Our Songs Came Through, from Joy Howard Joe. That's also a book that includes a, a opening blessing from N. Scott Mamaday. So that reverence that many Native poets have for N. Scott came through I was on one of the regional editorial uh, committees for that anthology, and we all wanted it to open with N. Scott Mamaday's poems. So, yeah, I think Angle of Geese and then, of course, the Delight Song of Sotali. I hope I got that right, um, which is just a, a beautiful poem and very, you know, deeply in Kiowa culture, but reached so many of us. And Housemaid of Dawn, you know, won the Pulitzer in 69. I still remember when I read that in college more than 30 years ago. Where does it stand now, Hyde? How does it hold up over the years? Well, I think it's an American classic and certainly a Native American literature founding book, uh, founding work that is referenced in so many novelists' works from tribal nations since then. Uh, it's also, you know, one of these works that just rang true for so many of us. I was young in the 70s, but um, when this book became well-known, but I think many Native people had characters uh, like the characters in, in the novel, and so it, it just resonated with us, people returning from war, uh, people struggling with an urban setting, finding their way through uh, everything they needed to get back to wholeness and health. I think we all had those things in our in our understanding of the world. So it was for me the first time I saw anything uh, or and read anything that really touched on a world that was like the one I saw around me. And the whole connection to relocation there in the Bay Area, I think that uh, is just so powerful as well. And so many Native people, uh, you know, have a connection to that. Now, Hyde, you were just named the Poet Laureate of Minneapolis. Congratulations. And I want to know, does N. Scott Mamaday fit in with your plans to be an arts ambassador for the city? You know, that's interesting. I I love the way that 
Mamadi's poetry could be very simple and imagistic and appeal to a lot of other people. So I thought of some of those uh, poems when I decided to work with others in the community. So I don't think there'll be a, you know, a specific moment that I uh, present the work, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were. And for young Native writers today, what wisdom or innovation do you think N. Scott Mamadi's work provides? You know, there's so much technically about uh, Mamadi's work that is beautiful and can teach uh, students of poetry the, you know, use of repetition, the, you know, references to song traditions. And, you know, there's all of us, 570-some nations, we all have our own traditions. But seeing how in English someone could touch on these things, I think is really a useful learning. We are talking about the legacy of Kiowa writer N. Scott Mamaday today. And we have a number of guests who knew N. Scott Mamaday and are very well-versed in his writings, and we're going to talk more after this short break. And uh, I'm going to share a, a brief memory. And Scott Mamaday lived on the campus of Santa Fe Indian School uh, for part of his childhood. And uh, one of my parents grew up on that campus as well and is about the same age. And uh, I spoke to my uncle this morning, and he remembers riding on the bus to Harrington Junior High in Santa Fe, New Mexico with N. Scott Mamaday, and also remembers N. Scott Mamaday's father hosting a radio show in Santa Fe, New Mexico, back in the day. So interesting facts here, family lore on Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and uh, give us a call if you have a memory or a, share, a story to share about N. Scott Mamaday. 1-800-996-2848. Among the 2023 National Book Award winners are two Indigenous writers, Ned Blackhawk and poet Craig Santos Perez. They both challenge the pervasive colonial view of their homelands in their own distinctive styles. We'll hear from both of them as we read from our Native bookshelf on the next Native America Calling. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org, who support this show. We're listening to Native America Calling. We're talking about the life and legacy of Kiowa author and Scott Mamaday today. Have you read his books? Admired his paintings? What do you most appreciate about his contributions to Native arts? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. Let's hear from someone else who knew N. Scott Mamaday. In addition to her many honors and accolades, Muskogee writer, Poet and musician Joy Harjo is chair of the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation and is chancellor of the Academy of American Poets. She is a three-term U.S. Poet Laureate. She remembers Mamaday as someone who built a template of sorts for other Native artists to build on. Harjo spoke with Megan Kamrick from Albuquerque radio station KUNM. 
I first knew of him when I was a student at the University of New Mexico, an undergraduate, and involved in Native rights movements, Native awareness, and his literature, his poetry, his uh, novel, House Made of Dawn, uh, that had won a Pulitzer Prize in the late 60s, were very important. I think for not just for me, but for many of us coming up, like Leslie Marmon Silko and others coming up as young Native uh, people starting to write and tell stories and to think about what it meant to be a Native writer and particularly Native writers of our own tribal nations. So his work was absolutely crucial to our configuration of paths in which to generate fresh ideas and cultures of our peoples. What, is, what was it like to see a Native writer in 1969 win a Pulitzer Prize? Um, did it inspire people in your cohort, your generation? Yes, I think I was thinking when it happened in 1969, I was a teenage mother. I probably didn't even have a radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I was totally outside of everything, and, and he, his work really became apparent and aware to me, you know, as when I began as a student in 1971 at the university and started becoming aware that, wow, we have Native literature. And he was part of that. He was part of becoming aware because growing up, you know, in Oklahoma, as much as Oklahoma, like New Mexico, one of the major uh, gathering states with very large Native populations, we still didn't have Native teachers or Native literature in our classrooms. It was like a, a crucial component of that wave of Native literature that continues, a series of waves of Native literature that have continued from that time. But I think what really stands out, I mean, certainly was that he was a groundbreaker in, in the way that he took a form like a novel and made it very particularly Kiowa, you know, like Kiowa American. And that was a gift. What I also appreciated about him is his, his emphasis of the power of language and the power of words and the power of stories to to continue to transform us. Was your work influenced by his? Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, of course. I mean, I, I, I read, I know his work. I've read his poetry and his, um, his fiction. And one of my favorite books of his is the Way to Rainy Mountain, it was unusual in its construct. And it became, that book became a kind of template, I think, for any of us who wrote memoir or experimented in form in some way. Uh, I did get to see him about a year ago. And uh, I wanted to tell him that I got my easel set up and my paints because I'm going to start painting again. And he always encouraged me to paint again because I started writing poetry, and I felt like I had to give up painting to have the time to develop it and express it. And it's only been the last few months that I've got everything set up to start painting again. And this reminds me that I wanted to tell him. I wanted to get a, some paintings under and say, Scott, I'm finally painting. That was Joy Harjo in an interview with Albuquerque Radio Station News Director Megan Camrick. Let's hear now from another author who has insights into the work of N. Scott Mamaday. 
Louise Erdrich is Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa. She is also Hyde's sister, and among her many awards, she won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction for her 2019 novel, The Night Watchman. She joins us now. Hello, Louise, and welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, thanks. Thanks so much. Good to be here. It's good to have you, Louise. And your name is often listed among writers who are part of N. Scott Mamaday's legacy. Tell us more about his influence on you, both as a writer and as a person. Uh, I didn't know him as personally the way Joy did, but I was able to be on a, during the pandemic, um, a Zoom call with him. And that was really beautiful. So I was thankful. I'm thankful for that. Uh, His work, though, is I mainly knew him through his work. And like Joy, the way to Rainy Mountain has been, I think, very influential for not only me, but writers who don't, Native writers who don't even know that they are being influenced. Um, There's this, there was a sense in that book that was so important to me that our particular tribal nations, histories and landscapes were vital and important and resonant. And I, I, I think I kept that inside of me. You know, I think a lot of what he, what he, what he showed to us was something that we absorbed during those years when you're young and in your 20s and even your 40s, 50s, and now 60s, still absorbing those those lessons. And he also influenced people who maybe didn't, uh, I, I'm sure that, for instance, um, Winter in the Blood was influenced by the way to Rainy Mountain. Mm-hmm. And that the 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 way that his generation had a you know his grandmother is in, is is so is so crucial as was James Welch's grandmother in Winter in the Blood you know this was a sense during those years the 40s 50s 60s and uh maybe into the 70s, that there was a living uh, in, a, a living person who had either been alive before the reservation era or just after or had a parent who was and so had this sense of what that was like, that unimaginable time, right? Mm-hmm. So that was really, and, and then he he talks about her being Christian, but also having this this relationship with the world that w- were were trying so hard to get back so many of the things that were lost during that time, right? So that I think was very important to to say James Welch and important to me. Louise, I always think to me, a great piece of literature 
whatever stage of life you're in, you can read it as a young person, it means something, and you can read it 10 years later when you're older, and it means something different, and then you could reread it again another 20 years later, and it could mean something totally different. Do you feel that N. Scott Mamaday's work is like that? Does it mean different things to different people at different stages of their lives? What a good, well, what a great insight that is, because it's so true. Uh, for instance, I really hadn't read deeply into his poetry the way Hyde did. And the first thing she did when she heard this news was to send me a poem. That was very beautiful. And and then I read it and thought, I, I've, I've missed really reading carefully. I've, I've missed reading like um, Headwaters that, that begins the way to Rainy Mountain. It's a gorgeous poem. And I read, um, let's see, was it last winter? Last winter, read Housemaid of Dawn again because it had been a while since I read it. And the interiority of that book really struck me in a whole new way. So you're so right. Reading someone over that you think you've read enough, you know, mm-hmm. is is an entirely different experience. Yeah, and that's why literature is that gift. Good literature is the gift that keeps on giving. And Louise, thank you so much for, for joining the show. Let's go back to Hyde now, because you mentioned poetry. And Hyde, uh, I understand you have a poem you'd like to read for us now. Yeah, actually, I wanted to read a poem that people can easily find. So poets.org has uh, put up The Snowmare uh, by Anne Scott Mamaday. So it's a very short poem. I'll read it to you all. It's a beautiful poem to read right now in Minneapolis where we've lost all our snow. And the snowmare in this poem is like a nightmare. In my dream, a blue mare loping pewter on a porcelain field away. There are bursts of soft commotion where her hooves drive into the drifts, and as dusk ebbs on the plain of night, she shears the web of winter, and on the far blind side she is no more. I behold nothing wherein the mare dissolves in memory beyond the burden of being. Mm. Hyde, what does that poem mean to you? To me, it's just this imagine, imagistic moment, this imagining where you, you capture something from your dream. So often, Mama Day would write about muteness and how hard it is to catch the words and how some things, there are no words for it. And yet, you know, compelled as a poet is to put something into a place, which is, I think, the same uh, the same obsession that, that artists have. So to me, often, Mamaday's work shows him as an artist. And you know, I was really lucky this past year to find in a collection of books I was working with in a rare book collection, numerous beautiful art books that share Mamaday's artwork with the the poems that go with these images. It's just an amazing, uh, uh, it's amazing life's work to, to compare, to pull all these things together and also be able to be a great novelist. It's, it's a wonderful, a life of, of incredible talent. Mm-hmm. 
Louise, back to you, and let's talk more about N. Scott Mamadi's influence on Native American literature. And if we think back to the time before N. Scott Mamaday, um, and then after he arrived and after he won the Pulitzer in 1969 for House Made of Dawn, I mean, is, can you point to almost a before and after period? I mean, what did Native literature look like before his arrival, and then how does it look now post and Scott Mamadi. I mentioned interiority and and we've talked about language. We've talked about being able to um, reclaim our places, our our uh, our words, and I think that's a lot of what happened after after. And Scott Mamadi started, and, start, and Scott Mamadi started to write. I, I, I know that the freedom it gave, that he gave me to use, to use language in as creative a way as possible, was immense for me. I think before there was this sense that there just had to be this tragic hero who disappeared over and over that was that was what happened and then this sense of life and abundance and power with the way to rainy mountain became so influential and became the great possibility for people that you could write a book that took your particular history and all that it meant and just run with it. It was a sense of freedom, I think. And you know, people talk about the uh, Native American Renaissance, I guess, of those days. And I think, I think that he, he was the key to that, his work. Mm-hmm. What always struck me about, well, House Made of Dawn specifically is it's, you know, it's it's a tough read. It's it's gritty. It's edgy. There, there's part there's parts that are hard. They're just it's hard to read. It's emotionally taxing. Just you know the trials and tribulations that that protagonist goes through. And I'm just curious. I mean, was anybody writing just really real, unapologetically Native American stories like that before in Scott Mamaday? Again, that's so true. And um, I try to think of. Uh, something I, I really can't. I feel that he he took this sense of of um you know I think that I think he 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 brought a fully alive character into being, you know, with flaws but also with a um a whole life that people could fixate on. You know, you could fix on to the, all of those, all those details. Mm. Talking with Louise Erdrich and also Hyde Erdrich about the legacy of N. Scott Mamaday. And uh, I'm going to introduce our, our next guest here, Jeffrey Palmer, Associate Professor of Performing and Media Arts at Cornell University, also director and producer of the PBS American Master's Profile, Words from a Bear. And Jeff, I want to thank you again for joining our show. 
and tell us a little bit. We're going to have to take a break in about another minute, but let's get started here with you. How did the profile Words from a Bear come about, and what was the experience like profiling in Scott Mamaday? Um, it's, I'm very happy to be here. Um, yeah, it, it, it really began um, at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, I, I had a film there, a short film there, and uh, unbeknownst to me, behind closed doors, there was a discussion um, with executive producers from American Masters uh, wanting to make a profile, a biographical profile of a Native American subject. And Shirley Sneavy, who was the, um, the head of Vision Maker Media at the time, uh, said it needs to be in Scott Mamaday. And uh, it, it's, it just so happened that they had seen my film and, and uh, said, hey, there's a Kiowa filmmaker. And uh, that's, how it, that's how it all began. <laughs> all right. Okay, we'll talk more after this next break with Jeffrey Palmer, along with our other guests, celebrating today the legacy of the late N. Scott Mamaday. Stay with us. Support by Archaeology Southwest. Did you know almost all major archaeological sites in the Southwest have been looted or vandalized? Looting and vandalism impact indigenous people, past, present, and future. Every day, countless Native American cultural items are lost or damaged forever through looting and vandalism. Federal and tribal laws protect archaeological resources. More information about ending archaeological resource crime and how to submit a tip at savehistory.org and on social media at Save History. You're tuned to Native America Calling. We're focusing on the legacy of writer N. Scott Mamaday today. What did you learn from his novels, poetry, or essays? Are you a fan of his work? Or maybe you were a student in one of his English classes? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. We have Darren Gray on the line now. He is N. Scott Mamaday's son-in-law, and he's uh, joining our show now to represent the Mamaday family. Darren, uh, welcome to the show, and uh, condolences to you and your family. Thank you so much. I thought of um, calling in because um, Jill Mamaday, um, I know you asked her to call, but uh, she's a little bit on the distraught side a little bit. She's doing very well, I may add, but um, I'm kind of representing the family. Well, uh, we're especially privileged to add your voice to the celebration of uh, your father-in-law's life and legacy today. And uh, again, a completely understandable with regards to your wife. Condolences to her as well. And let's talk more about your father-in-law. He had a career that stretched more than 60 years. Uh, as we're hearing from our other guests, he's had a lasting influence on writers even today. But what else do you want people to know about your father-in-law on a personal level? I suppose on a personal level, um, you know, I was married to Jill Mamaday for 32 years. We, we had a long relationship. We are now divorced, but we we are completely connected. We're soulmates, and we've raised a beautiful family together. So I had many years of being around Scott, the bear. He's the bear. That's what, that's what I, I can always um, hold dear to my heart was that he was the bear. And he carried this medicine that was so powerful. 
he knew it too. Um, he wielded that power in the best way I saw. Um, I knew I knew Scott uh, ten years before I had met his daughter. I didn't even know who his daughters were at the time, but uh, I met him up in Sun Valley, up in Ketchum, Idaho, at a, a big conference on Indian self-rule that uh, Alvin Josephi had put together back in I think it was 1980, and he and I and a slew of other artists. Uh, came together to um, help promote it and help um, finance it through our art. And the conference uh, uh, culminated in August of that year, and we had worked the whole year on prints and artworks to uh, um, exhibit at the conference. But the conference itself was um, people like Scott Mamaday and um, Alvin Josephi and Oh my God, my memory is, uh, that's a long time ago for me, but uh, I got invited to do all that with them. And that's when I met Scott Mamaday. And he provided uh, some etchings for the colophon that we produced and um, it was well received, but um, it was at that conference that I first met him and I got to hear him speak. And growing up on the reservation, I'm from uh, Hickoria, Apache. And my mother's from Oklahoma. She's Kiowa Apache, and she was uh, her family uh, intermarried with all the Kiowa people down there in the Southern Plains. So I had a good knowledge of um, Southern Plains all my life, and I was a powwow dancer and did the whole thing. And uh, but I grew up in Dulce, in Dulce, New Mexico. But it was up in Sun Valley that I met Scott Mombay. When I heard him speak, I was floored. I couldn't believe um, how much. The people resonated with him. He, when he spoke, he had. They, they used to say he had the he had the, the voice of God. <laughs> Always heard that, uh, and he did. He had this uh, eloquent voice. He spoke eloquently and and with with a power that I had never heard before, and and, and haven't heard since. Um, but it, but he was an artist as well, and he grew up with a family of artists. So I got to know the whole history and uh, be a, around him and uh, uh, raising my family with him coming around was quite interesting all the time. He, he just had uh, beautiful stories about uh, tradition, about Indian culture, um, and he was a fascinating artist, uh, a visual artist as well. He, he was breaking barriers all the time. And uh, I, I felt like it, he really um, um, had an impact on my life early on. I was a, a fledgling artist at the time, and I was just trying to get my feet wet. But when I heard him speak, um, I think my life was altered um, from then on. And um, and um, being close to him and getting to know him over the years just really um, uh, just gave me so much confidence, for one thing, but also taught me uh, the importance of um, um, having um, reverence for ourselves first and reverence for the land, mm -hmm. reverence for our culture, and um, um, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And we um, seeing him dance out there in the hot sun in Carnegie, <laughs> Oklahoma, was just the best, you know. I have tons yeah. of videotapes. I would follow him around with a video camera with um, he and Jill and the family, and uh, we just had a blast. It was Dad, so amazing, you know. Um, was your father, was he comfortable in his celebrity status, and, and did he realize just how influential he was, not just to 
to literary people and intellectuals, but just to all Native people. You know what? That's the interesting thing was that um, he was such a humble man. Every time I got around him, he was so humble. He was like a like a gentle bear. Um, but uh, I don't think he gave it much thought about uh, his influence and things like that. I didn't think uh, he knew he had he had this uh, this uh, celebrity. Um, but I think he was just so humble and lovable and um, people gravitated towards him. Just he had an energy around him and All the right. voice, of course, and the, and the intellect and the brilliance that that just, um, that, you know, he, he never thought about it. He was such a humble man. I really respect that and, and miss that. Darren, thank you again for joining the show and sharing these family memories and Louise, I want to pivot back to you now, and um, let's talk more about writing and, and what N. Scott Mamaday has done for Native writers and readers since his career really took off. Well, first I want to say how beautiful it was to hear about him and his and from a family perspective and from a student's perspective, the the little that I was able to be in his presence, I had this sense of a tremendous kindness and, and warmth. And, and so it's good to hear all of that. Thank you. Uh, and then I was thinking about, you described Housemate of Dawn as greedy and um, as edgy and, and I think that was a huge influence. Now, from reading my grandfather's letters, I know that in the 40s and 50s, you know, people wanted to present themselves as uh, ideal, as good citizens, hardworking. You know, people were um, trying so hard to be the person that they were expected to be in the dominant culture. And so nobody was talking about a lot of real, the reality of what it is to be a Native person and to, in reservation life and everything that, that goes with that. And so I think that I know that influenced, it had to have influenced um, James Welch with Winter in the Blood. It had to have because that book was so important and it was 1972 or 1974 that that came out and um that was just a short time later and that both of those books really influenced love medicine the sense that what was real was all right to talk about in fact it was it was important and so as much as the um the lyricism and power of landscape and dream and memory, there was that sense that the reality is important to share and it's important for us to talk about, to talk about it all. That's what I was, that's what I've been thinking, yeah. Oh, beautifully spoken, Louise. Really appreciate you adding those additional insights. And uh, let's go back to, to Jeff Palmer now. And Jeff, earlier you shared uh, the words from a bear profile, the project that you worked on with N. Scott Mamaday. And tell us a little bit more about that experience, profiling him. 
um, it, it was uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I think that um, the fact that I was able to to collaborate with him um, on this project was was really the opportunity of a lifetime. And um, I, I always say that you know I I really had the best screenwriter <laughs> ever. You know, um, with with the work that that uh he presented to me to 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 be able to weave into the storyline of the film um but it was such an honor to to get to know him to get to know his family um we had really wonderful moments together of uh i i remember you know driving with my father and him in the van you know, over to a recording studio to do some recordings of his voice and, and how much, you know, we just laughed uh, because we got the keys to the car and we got Scott Momaday out out of the house going down the road <laughs> together. And, uh, and you know, three Kiowas in a van, you know. So it, it, it was just, it was an amazing experience. And I hope that the film, you know, created awareness uh, that uh, he was such an important person, and and the fact that it was on American Masters, um, he was he was truly a, a master, truly an original, uh, an American original, and uh, and just uh, a genius in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. and so um, it, it was just uh, to to collaborate with an artist like that is is once in a lifetime, and I'm I'm glad it happened to me. Well, Jeff, uh, thank you also for coming on the show today and sharing your memories and your experiences with N. Scott Mamaday. And at this point, uh, I want to go ahead and introduce Jill Mamaday Gray. She is a writer, actor, and filmmaker, and she is also N. Scott Mamaday's daughter. She is Kiowa, of course. Jill, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and condolences. This can't be an easy time for you. Jill, are you there? Yes, hi, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you, Jill. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's been so hard, and my family is grieving and mourning so intensely. It's just such an incredible phenomenon to go through something like this when this is your father, you know? Well, yeah. we've been talking with so many people today who knew your father, people who greatly respected his work, but but here you are, his daughter. What do you want to share specifically about your dad today? You know, I just want to share how incredibly precious he he is to us. How the time that I spent with him, what it what it meant to me, it was so beautiful and sacred and sweet you know and my dad is so incredibly unique um it's it's hard to imagine you know that people could know what it's like and the fact that you know our little family uh my mom and dad had a beautiful love story my mother's name um, was gay Mangold and then gay Mama Day, 
and that was my dad's first wife, and there were three of us girls. And the fact that he won the Pulitzer Prize in 1969, he was 35 years old, and it changed the course of our lives forever. And, um, you know, he was so... He was so original, and uh, it was just a beautiful thing, you know, to know his writing and know that he could do what he did with his writing and be himself and be so intellectual and so incredibly poetic and so aware of his culture and the sacredness of the land and the stance of the Native American in that time. You know, he was just doing what he does. He was writing what he writes. He was feeling what he feels. Having grown up in Oklahoma and New Mexico um, as a Native son. And, um, you know, that's just really beautiful and unique. Jill, you mentioned him winning the Pulitzer at the age of 35. Do you remember that that day or that period when he won that? I mean, like, what was that like in your family? It must have just been a huge, huge deal. Um, you know, I don't remember the day. I don't know if I remember the time exactly. I've gone back and seen photographs, you know, and I can remember um, my parents being in a buggy, a horse-drawn buggy in Oklahoma for the, the parade, and he was wearing a headdress a beautiful feathered, eagle-feathered headdress. And I, I remember seeing the photo. I don't remember if I actually, you know, my sisters and I remember the time there. Um, Kale, me, Jill, and Britt, my younger sister, um, it just had an impact on our lives. But that was our dad. And, you know, mm-hmm. after that moment, he was you know, in such demand, and our worlds changed, and he was, you know, traveling all the time, and speaking, and writing more, and, um, but it came out of his heart, it came out of his soul, and his being, and his Kiowa heritage, and the fact that his mother always read poetry to him, and introduced him to beautiful literary giants, and poets, and his father, Al Mamaday, you know, gave him the Kiowa mythic oral tradition, and that was so rooted in his being, and that's what he wrote about. Jill, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I am so grateful for you to for joining us today, and again, just take care of yourself and condolences to your family. Thank you so much, and thank you to everybody who participated with such beautiful words and insights and knowledge and love. Thank you. Thank you, Jill, as well as our other guests, as you mentioned. Please join us here on Native America Calling again tomorrow for another conversation in a literary vein. We'll talk with National Book Award-winning authors Ned Blackhawk and Craig Santos Perez. Hope you'll tune in. I'm Sean Spruce. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from NativeScreenPrinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. 
Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Yate. February is American Heart Month. Protect your heart by eating healthy, staying active, and managing stress. Heart disease can run in families, so talk with elders about your family history. For more information, contact your Indian health care provider, visit healthcare.gov, or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Akihat. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.